Hey, it's Jeff. Just a heads up. Before listening to this episode, you may want to listen to part one of our two-part series on Chip Kelly to get the full scope of our story on him. The following podcast contains explicit language. So I can tell you a funny story about Chip. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean, not, I mean when um, Chip comes in, you know, we're going through OTAs, obviously drafts, Ertz, he brings in James Casey. And you have Selleck there, and you have a bunch. He brings in a couple new, like uh, young tight ends. Clay Harbor played tight end for the Eagles more than a decade ago. You know, he brings me into his office one day, and I'm like, I don't know what he's about to say to me. I could just tell he did wasn't really, you know, the biggest fan of me. In his third season with the team, there was a coaching change, and Chip Kelly came aboard in 2013. And uh, I was like, Yo, Clay, you know, we really like your athleticism. You know, you're a lot quicker and faster than you know I knew, and you're a physical guy, so uh, we want to move you to uh, to linebacker. Typically, the players that NFL coaches try to cross-train are young. They're not specifically set into positions. They're undrafted rookies or guys that maybe didn't have success at a certain position but have athletic ability, and a lot of times it just doesn't succeed. But Chip Kelly took it to another extreme and had, on any given practice day during training camp, almost – a half dozen players playing different positions or playing both sides of the ball. I go, okay, you know, um, let's see what happens. Clay had his doubts about linebacker, but he still went along with it. For a couple OTAs, I'm playing linebacker, you know, and I'm trying to pass rush Jason Peters and Lane Johnson. Okay, you know, this this isn't going well, to say the least. You know, I'm over here trying to pass rush these guys. And after a couple practices, you know, I'm fed up. You know, I come off the field, just get my ass kicked at linebacker. And, you know, I'm talking to my agent. I'm like, dude, like, I got to get out of here. I'm like, can you put in a feeler to see if, you know, anybody would want me at tight end? I had totally forgotten about Chip Kelly moving Clay to another position. But so much was happening during the first several months of the Kelly reign, especially during training camp, that it was hard to keep track of every different move that he was making. <laughs> So I go up to Chip's office. So I was like, yeah, Clay, uh, you know, come on in, buddy. You know, I think, you know, I'm tight end. And I don't think I, at this point in my career, I'm really open to, you know, trying to learn a new position and, and start all over in that regard. It was totally on brand with how Chip operated. There was kind of a weird element to it. Not very conventional, square peg, round hole. This often created tension, especially with the players. This was one of the broad themes of the Chip Kelly era. He brings me back into his office. He's like, well, like we, we think we got a, a solution since you don't want to play linebacker. We want you to uh, move to wide receiver. So I'm just like, like what I was like, we need you to lose some weight and uh, see if you go out there wide receiver. And I'm, now I'm like, well, I guess it's better linebacker. I, at least I, I know how to catch the football and know the plays. Then I get cut. And I'm like 225. I just got cut as a receiver. And then um, Jacksonville Jaguars, like, first in the waiver wire. I ended up getting signed by the Jaguars. Last week, we took a look at the rise of Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly, the innovator, and how all of these new ideas took the NFL by storm. Yeah, Chip Kelly lasted two more years. I lasted eight. So in the end, I lasted more than he did. This week, we'll talk about his downfall, but also why we might need to correct the narrative surrounding his legacy in the NFL. I'm Jeff McLean. I've covered the Eagles for the Philadelphia Inquirer for 15 years, and this is Uncovering the Birds, 
a Philadelphia Inquirer and KYW News Radio original podcast sponsored by Wawa. Episode 4 Chip Kelly Part 2 The Fall. Right before Christmas, I got in touch with Chip Kelly for the first time in over six years. Jeff, Chip Kelly coming. Chip, how are you? I'm uh, doing good. Thanks for doing this. I, I, I know you probably wouldn't. I was working on a story about the Eagles' chief of security, Dom DeSandro. He and Chip are still really close. But as our conversation was starting to wrap up, Chip and I did some looking back. I understand you still have a relationship with Jeffrey Lurie, right? I still have a relationship with Jeffrey. I love Jeffrey. Jeffrey's, Jeffrey's always been Jeffrey's always been a class act. Jeffrey's always been straightforward, honest. Because Jeffrey gave me an opportunity to coach in the NFL, so I'm, I'm a big Jeffrey Lurie fan. Let's go back to the Tuesday before the final game of the 2015 season. The vibes at the NovaCare complex weren't as cordial. Welcome, everybody. Um, this is uh, not something we do every day. Jeffrey Lurie had fired Chip Kelly. It was a, a clear and uh, important decision that had to be made. I uh, really just want to publicly thank Chip. Uh, nobody worked harder the last three years. Um, and uh, smart guy. And it was a bold decision to hire him and uh, had certainly some success. And... Uh, you know, wish him the very best. Two years prior, Chip had turned the franchise around in just one year and had the Eagles win 10 games and got them back into the playoffs. But it all fell apart. What are you looking for in a new coach? Do you want an NFL-style coach, a guy with NFL experience? Uh, in terms of what we're looking for in a coach, it's um, several things. And I would call it a, a style of leadership that values information, all the resources that are provided, and at the same time values emotional intelligence. Jeffrey Lurie was clearly referencing Chip Kelly and that he lacked that trait. What went wrong? How did things get so bad so fast? Looking back upon it, there were a series of events, a number of decisions that Chip Kelly made that ultimately led to his undoing, and probably most prominent was how he failed to establish the relationships that he needed to survive, but also to create an atmosphere in which players and coaches and staffers felt part of a family. Let's hear another story. This one from Bo Allen, who was drafted by the Eagles in 2014, going into Chip's second season. Chip kind of Subscribe to the Bill Belichick mentality, like loose lips, sink ships kind of. And a pre-draft visit that I had. And I remember just being dumbfounded because Chip was driving around this remote control car. And I was like, well, what's going on here? Like, why is he doing this? It was so that they could simulate motion during the OTA walkthroughs at that time because you couldn't like have live players. There were some restrictions. OTAs have changed a lot since that period in time. But like some sort of restriction on like live players movement moving on the field during like walkthrough sessions. So they use cars, like simulate a Y. So I said something about that in the media <laughs> and, you know, instantly heard from, you know, all the, the members of the organization, like, and chip that they were not very happy and 
basically told me in no uncertain terms, shut the fuck up to the media and like, just don't say much. Cause I like to mess around on, you know, social media, Twitter and stuff like that. And I think that was one of those moments where, you know, I did get noticed. I did have a conversation with the head guy that probably wasn't the best. And then along those same lines, like, who was the player guy? James Harris, I think was yeah, Chip's he kind was of right chief of man. staff. Yeah. Chief of staff. Yeah. So they drafted me. And then they passed the phone off to James. He's like, Yeah, Bo, like, we're so happy to see you. Like, uh, can you do me a favor? Like, yeah, yeah, whatever you want, man. Uh, can you pull up your phone and delete a couple of these posts off your Instagram? It was like me, like with no shirt on on a dock, just like messing around in college. He's like, That's not really uh, you know, how we want you to be known as an eagle. So I had to go through and scrub some some inappropriate content from my uh, that's not inappropriate. <laughs> like I don't want anyone to think that I'm like unhappy with Chip. I really like Chip as a coach and I really enjoyed my time with him and Philly and stuff like that. And it was just a different, it wasn't quite the same, you know. It's not like he wasn't player friendly or anything like that. Like I don't want to give that impression because he was. It just it was more like this is what we're gonna do and you know, we don't really care what the players have to say about it because this is what's best for them versus, you know, more player input. Kerry Williams signed with the Eagles as a free agent in Chip's first offseason. He had just won a Super Bowl with the Ravens and came from a franchise that he described as a family. We separated. We had groups that was just separated. We had the, the defensive backs. We had the linebackers. We had the D-line. We had, you know, I mean, kickers, you know, specialists or whatever. The case, they all we didn't necessarily come together as a group until we complained or, or asked for those, you know, for those meetings to be expanded, for those meetings to incorporate everybody. And to me, I felt like that was that's that was the downfall right there. Marcus Smith was the Eagles' 2014 first-round draft pick. When I spoke to him, he was blunt about his feelings on Chip. When Chip got fired, I said that I was ecstatic, but I didn't mean to say that I was ecstatic at the time. And then they wrote, like, uh, Marcus Smith said he's ecstatic that he got fired. I'm like, oh, man, why did they, you know, why did I say that? But in, in reality, when I go back, that's exactly how I felt. Yeah. You know, if we're being honest, that's exactly how I felt because I just felt like I couldn't win with them and the the people that were there at the time. I think in terms of the public, people were conflicted on Chip. There were certainly a lot of fans who were in his corner, especially when he was winning. When things started to go downhill, yes, I mean, that's when you started to see a segment of the fan base turn on him. Inside the Novacare complex, yes, certainly not everybody liked Chip Kelly, but there were a large number of players, coaches, and staffers who did get along with him, felt embraced by him, and in turn got close to him especially when they were allowed to be on the inside. I'm grateful right, to, to be able to play for Chip. D'Amico Rines is now the head coach of the Houston Texans. He played linebacker for Chip Kelly. I recently caught up with D'Amico at the NFL owners' meetings in March. We were outside at the courtyard at the hotel. You know, I know some guys were resistant. Some guys liked yeah. it. You know, how did you, how'd you approach it? So anytime something new, guys are kind of resistant because you don't know where it's taking you. It's all about that having a growth mindset and, okay, where can we go to the future? Just saying that now, it's like, man, Chip taught me so much. It's one of those crazy things because he would be the guy that would be everybody's friend at the local bar on the corner having a beer with. And 
oh, there's Chip. It'd be like, there's Norm, you know, like, yeah. But he and but, is so guarded with that. Chris Peduzzi was promoted to head athletic trainer in Chip's first year. He got to see up close some of his quirks, like that story from part one that Chris told when he and Eagles trainers had to put Chip's contact lenses in. He absolutely loved Wawa and ham and cheese and ordering his own. And he always stopped at the one there on Delaware Avenue. Yeah, well, he he once said sandwiches were like his favorite meal. Like, in, you know, like in the, it was like, oh, yeah. everyone's like, oh, filet, you know, or, sa- uh, you know, uh, lobster or yeah. something like that. Chips like sandwiches. I, I mean, he absolutely loved Wallace. Yeah. I mean, he, you, you'd have thought he died and went to heaven the way he talked. <laughs> I don't know if he had ever been to a Wawa before. I don't think there was even mayo or mustard on him. It just, but he was just a normal dude. In many ways, Chip was a normal dude. He had befriended Troy the janitor at the Novacare Complex and had gotten along with many other staffers at the Eagles headquarters. But when it came time to cultivate relationships with key star players on the roster, Chip would not bend to their personalities. The biggest misconception is everybody likes him. I mean, it just he didn't let people get to know him by he being or them get to know him. I would say fans or maybe you guys, you know, it was never too high, too low. It was always, you know, steady. And, you know, it was he made it fun, but. He never really let that on too much to outside of his circle. In the end, Chip's fate wasn't sealed by the people he let in, but the ones he kept out. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Wawa. Wawa's paninis are getting even bolder, like spicy buffalo chicken paired with creamy mac and cheese, all in a handheld toasty panini with a savory garlic pepperoni panini with provolone, pepperoni, and drizzled with a garlic aioli. Or mix it up with tuna salad and your favorite toppings. Fill up on these bold flavors that are sure to be the envy of every lunch. Try new Wawa panini for lunch today. Gotta have a Wawa. I'm Jeff McLean, and this is Uncovering the Birds, sponsored by Wawa. It was the start of Chip Kelly's second season in Philadelphia, and on the surface, everything seemed like it was going great. Running in for the touchdown is Fletcher Cox. Looking deep for Macklin, who races and has it. Touchdown! The ball! Wow. The kick is up. It's gone! (laughs) And the Eagles win! Heading into the bye, they were 5-1. and one. After a huge blowout win in Dallas on Thanksgiving, they were 9-3. and three. There have been a lot of games over the years played for the Dallas Cowboys on Thanksgiving Day. I don't know that they have ever absorbed this kind of licking from beginning to end. Uh, I don't know about you, but it's going to make my turkey taste a heck of a lot better. Mine too. They were in contention to earn a first-round bye in the playoffs, and possibly, who knows, maybe go to the Super Bowl. Even though Chip Kelly had released Deshaun Jackson, he had Jeremy Macklin coming back, and he would go on to have a career year. He was able to somehow make the quarterback position work, even though Nick Foles got hurt, 
and Mark Sanchez had to take over. Defensively, you still had good players. You had Fletcher Cox, you had Brandon Graham, you had Connor Barwin having a career year. You still had the pieces to offset some of the percolating problems that maybe some of us who covered the team closely started to see. Uh, And then the wheels fell off. Could any of you, could you have imagined that in the first half, the Eagles would have spotted the Cowboys three touchdowns? They lost three straight games and four of their last five. While they finished 10-6, and they missed the playoffs, and they kind of went into the offseason on a whimper. Well, Mike, I, I can't remember a more disappointing stretch by a football team that on Thanksgiving night seemed not only headed for the playoffs, but headed for a possible top seed. Three games in a row by this team. and It, it's hard to fault them in the- it was a setback. Even though they still had a winning season and they finished with the same record as they did the year prior, they didn't make the playoffs. One of the issues for the Eagles was because everything was predicated upon Chip's offense, the defense suffered, not only in terms of how they practiced, but also in terms of the games and how much playing time defensive players like Kerry Williams were forced to play. What the hell is a no-huddle defense, man? Like, the offense was a no-huddle offense. It was designed to run as many plays as possible. Cool. But defensively, did Eli Manning do that? No, we weren't going to see that on Sunday. Did Kirk Cousins do that? No. Did Tony Romo do that? No. Yeah, two-minute drill, yeah. That made a lot of sense. So when you got crisscross signals and then you sit up here wondering why the hell we giving up 350 damn yards in a game, it's, the re- it's, it's organization. It, it came down to that, a lack of preparation. We got blamed for that because what, that's what you see on Sundays. You could just tell that perhaps this way of playing football was not sustainable in the NFL. Jeff, a lot's been made about um, Chip's relationship with Howie and that maybe it's not as good as it could be. How, what do you see from your vantage point and will Howie continue as GM? Oh, I see. Absolutely. I, I see two really valued executives, Chip and Howie, obsessed to being good executives. Uh, they have different roles. Um, they cross over at different points. I, I think you know me. I like to surround myself with, uh, with not yes men, but strong, opinionated people that are really dedicated to making us really good. What's your assessment of Howie and his personnel, the personnel staff? And oh, I think you know Howie's done a great job. Will Howie be back? Oh, uh, is that a question? Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm not asking about it. <laughs> it's. It's funny to hear that now because Jeffrey scoffing at my question, it was understandable that he didn't want to give away too much information or basically reveal that there was a rift between Howie and Chip, but certainly in retrospect, that was not the case at all. Howie would be back, but he wouldn't be back as GM. I had heard even as early as that first offseason that Howie Roseman and Chip Kelly weren't getting along and weren't entirely seeing eye to eye. You could even look to that first draft and know that something just wasn't right and that there was a divide in terms of how the team should be built. I think there was also a personality clash. Chip would kind of 
give subtle hints whenever he talked about how he was more focused on what he did in terms of the salary cap than what he did in terms of building the roster and evaluating players. Increasingly, my reporting indicated there was a power struggle going on here and eventually it was going to come to a head. In fact, by early November 2014, I had written the lead to a story about the power struggle to get ahead of what would eventually come to fruition a few months later. I actually still have the lead to that story written in my notes on my phone. I'm going to read it to you. There's trouble in Eagles Paradise. Chip Kelly and Howie Roseman are no longer communicating as the head coach's influence over the direction of the Eagles grows and the general manager's wanes. Multiple team sources and sources around the NFL told the Inquirer. I don't think I was the only reporter that was on to this story. The reason why it was never ultimately reported was I needed one of the two, Howie or Chip, to be involved in the reporting, but I couldn't get either of them to talk. So here's what happened. On New Year's Eve, it was announced that Howie Roseman was no longer GM, but that Chip Kelly would now have final say and oversee Eagles personnel. Initially, it was hard to decipher what was said in the announcement because it was worded to make it seem as if Howie had a promotion. And in fact, he kind of did. He got a shiny title and more money. What it meant when you looked at it more closely was that he would no longer have final say. But it was also a shock that Jeffrey Lurie, just years after he had basically forced Joe Banner out of the picture and replaced him essentially with Howie Roseman, almost his adopted son, that he would demote him. Jeffrey essentially moved Howie out of football operations and literally out of the football wing of the Novacare complex and to the business side. What was perhaps most unique about this situation was that typically when you have a power struggle in the NFL at the top, the person who loses goes. In this case, Jeff still kept Howie in the building. But Jeff couldn't go all the way. He had to keep Howie close by just in case. And having Howie on the periphery in almost a break glass in case of emergency case, it may have undermined Chip's ability that season. Chris Peduzzi, who was the Eagles head trainer at the time, was on the inside. So when the Chip and Howie thing kind of divorce happened, how did that affect things? It really didn't affect much of my day-to-day. Yeah, you know, he would ask. It was like a normal conversations that we had about when when he was the GM. What about the overall feel of like the whole building and how? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I really never. Yeah, it didn't seem, you know, it was like. I, I don't know how to exactly put a finger on it. Even before Chip had won his power struggle with Howie, his fingerprints were all over the Eagles moves. He brought in a number of Oregon players, players that he had coached that were marginal talents that probably shouldn't have been anywhere near an NFL roster. Then, in the 2014 offseason, the Eagles released to Sean Jackson a move that many people knew was Chip's move. 
But once Chip became the de facto GM, he went crazy. He traded LaShawn McCoy, the Eagles' perennial Pro Bowl running back, for linebacker Kiko Alonso. He traded quarterback Nick Foles for Sam Bradford. He had a deal with Frank Gore that suddenly fell through. And then when the Gore deal fell through, he signed DeMarco Murray, Ryan Matthews. It seemed like he was just signing anybody he could. Byron Maxwell, a cornerback from Seattle, he gave him $60 million. Then there were players that had been on the team that had been performing well that he was reluctant to restructure or give them new deals. And one of those was Adam Mathis. Aside from the Dream Team offseason of 2011 after the lockout, this was easily the most frenetic week of my time on the beat. Bo Allen was in his second year as a defensive lineman with the Eagles. He had a front row seat, and over the course of his NFL career, he had gotten used to this sort of drama. You just forget all the crazy shit that happens because you're so accustomed to it, and you're just just trying to get through game week, man. I'm just trying to... I'm just trying to get to Sunday, take on all these double teams, and then do it again. You know, you kind of you can't really think too hard about some of the crazy shit that happens because there's just so much of it. So you, you just you get a little numb to it, man. The Eagles had a decent start to the 2015 season with Chip Kelly in full control. They were six and six going into Dubai, but then lost four of their next five when they returned. One of the underlying issues that became apparent over time was that defensive coordinators were catching up to Chip's offense, and he wasn't able to adjust. Rock Bottom came in Detroit on Thanksgiving when the Eagles suffered a 31-point blowout loss. Ironically, just a year before on Thanksgiving, Kelly may have hit his high-water mark with a victory over the dreaded Cowboys in Dallas. After the game in Detroit, the mood was tense. I believe our players played today. Yeah, I believe our players competed. Yes, I do. All the players? Yes. So if the players are giving you 100% and you guys are losing like this, is the problem you? I don't know. I don't have that answer. I, I, I just know. I, I just know. Yeah, we do it all the time. And it's we, didn't, we haven't put our players in position to make plays in the last two weeks, and that's on us. That's on that's on me as a head coach. I'll take responsibility for that. Yeah, I'm committed to seeing this room. The next day, everyone from Philadelphia to the national media was asking whether Chip was as good as gone. Is this the end of Chip Kelly? Well, no, only because you have five games to go in the regular season, and Jeffrey Lurie is not the kind of person uh, that would make a move in the middle of the season. The only way that Chip Kelly would... But there was more going on behind the scenes, and it turns out there was something Chip Kelly could have done to get Jeffrey Lurie to fire him before the end of the season. There's certain things that Mr. Lurie absolutely loves. Like, he loves doing that holiday party for people. In all my years covering the Eagles, I've heard the same exact thing that Chris Peduzzi had said. Jeffrey Lurie loves his holiday party. Not just for for the, the staff, the whole organization, but your significant other. You know, to come, kind of get dressed up, and the food's outrageous, just all the different the stations and things like that. And it's just his deal. I mean, he really enjoys that holiday party. Basically, what Chip did was force Lurie to move the party from the luxury level at the link to the Novacare complex to accommodate the football schedule. In a lot of ways, it took away the allure and the glitz of the party. When that got switched, and I was like, man, that, 
I can't imagine. Now, what happened behind the scenes or whatever, I'm sure he was had to be ticked off. Yeah, it was just things like that. that I think I that was know. the. La- I think that was like kind of viewed as the last straw. It would, yeah. I could, I could sense that too. I am sad to report the final score: the Redskins thirty-eight, the Eagles twenty-four. Lurie fired Chip two days after the Eagles lost to the Redskins on December twenty-six. There was one game left in the season. I look forward to uh, watching Chip succeed wherever he goes because I think he really will. But I also look forward to uh, a real improvement in um, where we're headed and uh, everybody involved to perform up to their maximum. In less than three years, Chip Kelly had gone from wonderkind to out of a job. Chip wasn't unemployed for very long. The San Francisco 49ers hired him to be their head coach just three weeks later. By the next year, though, he was fired again after the 49ers went 2-14. Chip's tenure in the NFL was over. Not much later, he was hired by UCLA and was back in college. And he's been there ever since and now has them back in the top 25. Even though Chip's tenure in the NFL has now been deemed a failure, you can still see his influence in various areas of the league. D'Amico Ryans and I talked about this at the NFL owners meeting. What do you think of some of the things you see that like still kind of resonate in the NFL, yeah, I mean, the spread offenses or whatever? Yeah, when you come to, when you, when you think about the offense that he ran, right, it's, you know, just different structures of, of practice, how you view players and how you utilize the data that you, that you acquire. You, you get all this data on players, but how do you use it Doug Peterson was another coach I spoke to at the meetings. He followed Chip in Philly and was able to sum up his legacy in the NFL. I mean, what did you make of, of, of him and his like tenure in the NFL? And did you think like under different circumstances maybe he could have been as successful as someone like you know you or I mean I don't it, know. If it's you're... hard. To, I mean, it's hard to say. You just look at look at some of the, the history of the college guys that come to our level. So I, I just think it's a different mindset. I, I do I do believe that some guys are, are are NFL guys, some guys are college guys, and they they thrive in college. I don't know if I'd ever be a college guy. Yeah. Probably not. Probably not cut out for it. Did Chip ultimately not have a winning record in the NFL? Did he have regression each year that he was there? Absolutely. Did he do many things wrong? Sure. But there are so many outside factors that can dictate the success or failure of players and coaches. Chip may have been the face of the Eagles and he may have had final say, but he wasn't responsible for everything. It wasn't ultimately all of his fault. Jeffrey Lurie set up almost an impossible dynamic by keeping Howie Roseman in the building. It wasn't like Howie Roseman's personnel moves before his ouster were perfect. And the players certainly deserve some of the blame as well. Maybe his career in the NFL would have turned out differently. I'm not sure if the NFL will ever have Chip Kelly back, but I bet you he would have the NFL back if given the opportunity. I honestly never thought I would talk to Chip Kelly again, but then that call around Christmas happened, and as the conversation continued, I felt at one point, you know, maybe I can get a little closure here. 
uh, I look back and covering you and I feel like sometimes I, I look back and I think I would have done it differently. I think sometimes when things were going great, I kind of uh, built you up. And then when things weren't going great, I think I went too hard the other way. So I was like, um, but I think I become a better reporter for it. So um, uh, um, I appreciate that. I love, I'm, I'm, I, and people talk about it all the time. I love Philly. I think it's a, well, and someone asked me about it and I was, I was like, only on the phone with Chip Kelly for 25 minutes and I don't think that makes me anywhere near an expert on him. And I only covered him for three years in Philadelphia. So take it for what it's worth. But to me, he sounds like a guy who's at peace with not only his tenure in the NFL, but where he is now at this stage of his life. I'm a huge Eagles fan. I'm a huge Doug fan. I'm a huge Andy fan. I'm a huge Nick fan. I'm a huge Jeffrey Lurie fan. And so I think people think that if things don't go somewhere, you're supposed to, they're supposed to be animosity. But I love my time now. I yeah. love sparring with you. The one thing about Philly that people don't understand is that they're passionate, and that's an awesome thing to be a part of. And if if you're winning, it's great. And if you're losing, well, then you know what? You shouldn't be losing. So I, I got that. I got big boy pants. But yeah, honestly, two episodes may not be enough to really cover the Chip Kelly era in Philadelphia. I think that speaks to how much turmoil there was. I think a lot of it also had to do with just all the change he brought about, some of it which still exists to this day. There's no doubt that Chip Kelly was one of the most fascinating figures in Eagles history. I love the city. Oh, I, I love my time there, and, and I, hope they, I hope they win another one. Next time on Uncovering the Birds, the pressures of being a first-round pick and how the career and life of an ex-Eagle might have been different if he hadn't gone so high in the draft. Well, our special teams coach at the time, you know, the first day I come in, he's he's telling me, you know, the only thing I got to worry about is being a first-round bust, right? And so that was the first introduction that I got to the Eagles. That episode is scheduled for Friday, April 21st. This is Uncovering the Birds, sponsored by Wawa a production of the Philadelphia Inquirer and KYW News Radio original podcast. Our producer is KYW News Radio's Brian Seltzer. Tom Rickard is KYW News Radio's director of podcasting. The executive producer from the Philadelphia Inquirer is Renee Eiffel. Special thanks to Sports Radio 94 WIP and ESPN. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. You know what would be a big help? Please just tell one person about the pod to help spread the word and pass along to any Eagles fan who may want to hear more about their favorite team. You can also leave us a review or a rating. You can listen to episodes of Uncovering the Birds free, like part one of our Chip Kelly series on the Odyssey app, wherever you get your podcasts, or go to inquire.com slash podcasts. I'm Jeff McLean. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore McLean or on any social media site like Facebook or Instagram or just read my stories at Inquire.com. We'll talk to you next week.